Hello, welcome to Interdependent Study, our podcast where we engage in the learning and unlearning work for social justice and collective liberation. I'm Damien. And I'm Aaron. Thanks so much for joining us today. For those new to our podcast, Interdependent Study is meant to be a space and community for folks who believe in and want to do the work of social justice. Each week, we'll bring something new to the table and discuss our thoughts and feelings about it through the lenses of who we are and where we can go for a more just society. We want Interdependent Study to be a space where we're always learning with one another. And Aaron, my friend, you're up this week. Mm-hmm. What have you brought to the table today? I have uh, brought a documentary called Class Divide to the table this week. It's yes. set in West Chelsea in New York City, uh, which has seen hyper rapid gentrification over the last 10 to 15 years. Yeah. The documentary tells the story of the neighborhood through the lenses of an expensive and exclusive private school called Avenues. Mm-hmm. The World School. That's the that's the name. Avenues, the World <laughs> the School. The way you said that was kind of funny. I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is happens to be right across the street from the Elliott Public Housing Apartments. Yes. Uh, there are lots of people who are interviewed throughout the documentary uh, from the neighborhood, from the school, mm-hmm. uh, from Rosa, an amazing little Latina <laughs> girl from the neighborhood, to uh, Hayashim, who is a young black man in the neighborhood, uh, some students from Avenue School who are uh, mostly affluent and white. Yeah, uh, the documentary really demonstrates, I think, the stark contrast in the reality of the economy. Yeah, right? and and the the elements of race and immigration status and you know class also obviously within that with the economy having huge influences on the experiences of the people in the documentary that we sort of meet yeah. uh, in their interviews. There's a lot here, and uh, looking at my, kind of reflecting and looking at my notes, this documentary feels like a critique of our economic system without the filmmakers really ever coming out and saying explicitly, like, this is, like, this is, we are here to critique the economy. It's like, look at the stories and experiences of these people, and that's the conclusion that I came to. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. Um, you know, the stories of people and the statistics shared that they shared throughout kind of do that for them and, and pr- present that critique. Right. Um, so there's definitely lots to talk about. Uh, you know, what did you notice as you watched it? Well, it's fascinating that you say that this idea of the, you know, we don't really see the filmmakers or they don't um, they don't sort of uh, say it plainly. Right. Uh, that it's this critique of our economic system. But I I hadn't thought about that, but I think you're absolutely right. It, it's absolutely a critique of, of, of our economic system in this country. And um, so I, I appreciate that insight. I, yeah, I think I, I really enjoyed this film. Um, I think there's so much in it for us to talk about. I mean, even just, you know, I hadn't thought too much about immigration, right? And there are pieces of it, of, yeah. of those stories in this too, right? There's so much here. Um, I think it was it was fascinating and really well done. And I feel like there's so much to learn from a film like this one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, especially from the wonderful folks uh, that are featured in it. You talked about Rosa, I think. <laughs> Maybe yeah. I smiled as soon as you said Rosa. She's, yep. she's my favorite. But so many of the folks featured in this film are kids, right? Yep. And uh, I think that the kids were my favorite part, right? Hands mm-hmm. down. You know, there were the, the kids that went to avenues where, uh, what was it? Like at the time, the tuition was 40 to 50K. Yeah. Um, and then there are the kids in the neighborhood, as you mentioned, at the at the public housing projects. You know, they're, they're the projects um, directly across the street. 
like literally directly across the street. And so, you know, I'd say that the kids are my favorite because I feel like there was so much that they shared and, and ways in which they were vulnerable about their lives and their experiences and their hopes and their dreams uh, for their futures, you know, what they want to be when they grow up, um, you know, and, and how they were making sense of, this class divide, right? Or the, the socioeconomic divide that exists in the world and in mm-hmm. their world, um, it's sort of ever present for them. And so uh, it was really, I think, amazing to hear them talk about that and reflect on all of that because they, I think some of them were so wise beyond their years, right? And on both yeah. sides, right? Like they had this sort of, um, you know, you talked about the kids at avenues, uh, many of them were rich and affluent, uh, that's you know, white and affluent, um, you know, but they had some sort of, uh, many of them had some sophisticated thinking and understanding yep. around like, we are here in this place and literally looking out the window, we see, um, you know, folks who look very different than us and are living very different lives than us. Right. And, and, um, vice versa. Right. And so I think, for me, their vulnerability, right, and and their humanity really shone through, you know, yeah. um, and and resonated so deeply with me. And I think there's just so much we can all learn from these young people and their experiences and their thinking about sort of this lens, if you will, of of, of social justice and and certainly what it could mean, you know, for our future and what we do about it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um... Yeah, there was so much that they shared, like you said, that was wise beyond their years of like, oh, that's some really um, astute analysis, like is what kind of came to my mind is like, yeah, that's like, and it's matching your experience, right? Like you're, you're, you're saying that because it it is what you have seen. Yes. And what you've, what you've lived. Yes. um, Which is sort of overwhelming to think about too. It is. Like in a lot of ways. Yeah. So. And then for some of the younger kids feature, particularly the ones that live in Elliot, right? Like there's also the piece around, and you you are just reminded that they are children, right? Because they're yeah. talking about, there's one family that's featured and, you know, the mom sort of breaks down because, you know, her son just wants to uh, grow up and, and uh, be able to buy our home. Right. Mm-hmm. And right. Just wants life to be a little bit better. And so right. like there are, there are moments where you reminded that they're children, they're, you know, they're cute kids. Um, but for, in some ways, all of them show this really, as you said, sort of astute or insightful um, insight about their lives and their situations and what's happening. So yeah, yeah they were my favorite part. Yeah. One of the other things, you know, we're talking about avenues, the world's cool. Um, <laughs> I, I just found sort of it to be astonishing. Aside from the glitz and glamour of the school itself. Yes. Um, the facility is um, amazing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the classrooms and the methods and all that. There were the numbers about financial assistance mm-hmm. um, in the documentary that that's the principal. I don't know who that. Yeah. Somebody shared their principal. Somebody, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, as I talk about this, this film came out came out in 2015, right? Um, and it was filmed before then. So these numbers are at least seven years out of date, yep. right? Um, but it cost back then, as you said, forty thousand to fifty thousand dollars per year to send your student to Avenues, which is more than I spent on uh, tuition for my entire entire bachelor's degree. Wow! Bye. About twenty eight thousand dollars. 
So a little uh, half of what it costs to go there for a year, half of what it costs to go to avenues for a year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. I think like I look back at what average tuition cost um, for my public school education, public university education in yeah. Florida. And um, wow. yeah, it, w- it came out to probably about 20. Well, no, what's that? $12,000. Yeah, that's $12,000. Wow. For four years, and the, you know, f- we're talking forty for one a single year, mm-hmm. um, and, and that's should, that's just tuition, right? So there, right. there's additional fees for going to college and right. room and board and all that stuff. But yeah, and uh, we should mention that avenues is is K through twelve, right? Like it's all yeah, right. It was all years, so right. Mm. Uh, wow. So aside from that sticker shock on the tuition and just thinking about that that math <laughs> um, and. <laughs> Yeah. Um, they also shared um, that 45 students out of the 1,240 who were going there at the time received full financial assistance. So 45 students received full financial assistance and 107 received partial uh, grants. Um, and then they described that as robust. Yeah. Um, which those statistics like that was didn't happen in the same conversation i think those numbers were shown on the screen yes by the filmmakers yes and then the scholarship program was described as robust by an administrator for the school yes like sort of right before um so there was a, a way that's like draw your own conclusion on whether or not this is robust i don't think it is no. it's hard to fathom that only 45 students out of your 1240 when your school is across the street from the elliott housing projects um, where like a family of four, I think on there was a number in the documentary. A family of four is making on average less than twenty one thousand yes. dollars a year. Um, and you're in this neighborhood, and you've got forty five students, right, who are on full scholarship, and one hundred and seven who are on partial. Um, and so it's just hard to fathom because clearly, given your facility, given your, um, you know your you you have lots of access to extensive resources um, to be able to fund more students to be going there for free. Absolutely, um, yeah. yeah. There's a piece of it too that I was I was thinking about what their sort of um, donor situation may be like as well, right? right. I'm sure they've got wealthy donors, right? And yeah. so they certainly have the capacity to um, invite the students that live across the street and live in that neighborhood and support them yeah. um, in a way that provides them access to their sort of world-class education. Um, but I think by those numbers, I don't think that's robust. I would completely yeah. agree with you. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we, you know, if you haven't seen it, this is going to be a spoiler, but, you know, our, our dear friend Rosa, mm-hmm. um, you know, eventually we see towards the end of the documentary, she, you know, applies to get in and doesn't get in, right? And, um, and, <laughs> It really hurt me because <laughs> mm-hmm. I wanted her to get in and wanted her to have access to to this education that they're providing. That again is just across the street, right? So it's this yeah. school in in their community, and these schools, in my opinion, should be serving the community in which they are located. They are located. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I appreciate you calling that out because I, I did. I sort of hollered uh, when <laughs> yeah. the those stats were sort of flashed on the screen. It's like forty five. Uh, forty. That's it. What? Yeah. 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 Uh, less that's so that's less than 10%, right? Oh, yeah. Between full well, and, and partial under, yeah. Um, receiving that kind of support, so it's uh, less than five, it's less than five. Wow, okay. So I tried to <laughs> couldn't do that math. Um, yeah, so there's that piece. I, 
so th- that I, I completely agree with you. That resonated with me. I also think, you know, I sort of alluded to this earlier, but this piece about humanity uh, or the humanity of the experiences of the folks featured um, was such a huge part of this uh, film that resonated with me. And mm-hmm. I think the film also does a really great job highlighting the idea that there is a real gap in the lived experiences of folks in this country. Right. Yes, um, so obviously this is a look at this West Chelsea neighborhood in Manhattan in New York City. But you can sort of, you know, see that how it applies. And it's the, I think the filmmakers are making the case that it applies to um, other places in the country. Right. And so yeah. it's just uh, a stark contrast here. It's, right. Like it's, it's, yes, the, it's magnified by a huge amount here, right? Right, yeah, because, so one of the things that they do, they talk about sort of real estate, right, Mm -hmm. in this area, right? And so, you know, you have avenues and you have the Elliott Chelsea House projects, right? But then there's also $10 million homes that are also across the street from uh, Elliott Elliott Homes, right? And so, and we see sort of, you know, a, a real estate agent sort of taking folks through and like we get to actually like, hear some of what they're talking about um, as they go on the tours of these locations. And, you know, the there's a scene of the of a woman with the real estate agent who's also a woman, and they're sort of sitting in the windowsill of that townhome looking out at um, Elliot, right? And she's sort of asking her, like, well, would you live here? Would you yeah. send you, would you, you know, raise your children here, right? And so there's also this stark contrast of um, the lived experiences of someone being able to come in and purchase a home or rent a home um it was it was purchased purchase yeah 10 million dollars and i also remember because this was uh uh, the number of square feet in the place was also in my mind i was like what um it was like 6600 square feet or something like like it was it was an absurd amount of of space um but it was also 11.5 million dollars or something for the condo um so yeah so you're right. It's a stark contrast, but it's sort of, you know, one example of how this is happening, I think, in, in sort of many places in our country, mm-hmm. um, particularly, you know, our cities. Um, I think another sort of thing that I was struck by that's related to this is, you know, as you mentioned, some of the like tidbits and quotes and, and stats that were shared in the film um, and particularly the ones that are about the wealth gap in this country. And um, one of them that just I, I I really struggled with was this idea that it is harder for a child born in America to move out of poverty yep. than it is for children in most other developed countries. Yep. Like, what are we doing? Right. Yeah. Like, how did we get here? How do we get to this place where this is the situation that so many of our children are in? Um, yeah, I was sort of haunted by that. Like, and I think so. I think there's just some real learning and, and and powerful insights that come from a film like this one um, when you sort of are, you know, right in front of your face are these children and their, their experiences. Um, and particularly if you hold some privilege, right, or have mm-hmm. blinders on as it relates to these types of experiences. Yeah. Um, and that, that stat on the screen um, I'm going to talk about a different one in a, in a minute, but okay. that stat on the screen and what you just said about sort of um, kids in poverty in mm-hmm. the U.S. having a harder time getting out of poverty than in other developed countries reminds me there was a study a couple years ago um, that I th- I'm not, I don't remember entirely what it was about, but it was essentially 
about your zip code define not defining but like having a huge amount of correlation to what your opportunities look like wow um and so they so they did a longitudinal whoever the the researchers were did a longitudinal study about sort of poverty and opportunities and all yep. that um by following kids yep. into like sort of early adulthood, adulthood yeah um and and looking at their zip code and and that and so there's research, longitudinal right. research about that being a fact. Wow. Yeah. So I'm at, so imagining that, uh, you know, if your zip code is, you know, 90210 versus yeah. if your zip code is Baltimore City, like, you right. know, right? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, Fascinating. There's, yeah. There's something called, I'm just doing some, some quick Googling right now as I talk about it, something called Opportunity Atlas, um, which is from the Census Bureau and Harvard University's Research Institute. Um, opportunity insights. Okay. Um, so that that's something else to kind of look into. And I guess keep in mind is like people are, are noticing this and doing research and proving that this is not just like anecdotal stuff that, yes. that we're making up, that it's it's a real like class divide. Yeah. As, yeah. The, as the documentary is called. And um, you can eat like it's hard to... Um, move upward right in that system right. which i think we have as a country sort of already always toot our own horn about um mm -hmm. and so yeah the statistics and the the experiences of people don't um actually match up to that wow um yeah, yeah i want to check that out that's awesome to know about yeah um so another thing I hadn't really thought about, but it feels connected to this, particularly when you think about zip codes and opportunities. Um, so it was on the screen. Um, was it a majority of public school students in America are from low income families? Yeah. Um, and I really wonder what that means for the experiences of our students across both public and private schools. Uh, if there's little kind of in-school diversity amongst class, what does that do? And like, what, what does that mean? What's the impact of that? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and sort of also turning that statistic over in my head a little bit. Um, I also wonder, what does it say about the economy at large? Hmm. Is this actually a change in the population of our public school students? Um, or is this an indicator of a larger economic shift where more uh, proportionally where proportionally more people are considered low income than in the past. Right. And so therefore their oh. students, right. Are coming from those low income households. Yeah. Um, and I think that's probably its own documentary. In probably. Itself. Um, <clears throat> and for me, it, it raises a lot of questions about the purpose of private schools, uh, what it means to have two separate education systems with drastically different funding yep. resources and, and, uh, access to resources uh, and it reminds me also of remake the world we talked about last week when yeah. Astra Taylor talks about the way that our economy creates insecurity mm -hmm. and it, that's the foundation is like you it creates insecurity that you then have to respond to and work toward your own security whatever well, that looks like and in this you. case that we're talking about children right so right. that insecurity is sort of baked into our children yeah right right yeah. and so that what does that mean as they continue to grow up in the world right that if it's if it's literally baked into them that early in their schooling. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then um, it also reminds me of there's a toward the end of the film, I think um, there's a quote that they put up on the screen. 
uh, in the documentary from Plutarch, um, an ancient Greek philosopher who said an imbalance between rich and poor is the oldest and most fatal ailments of all republics. Which, you know, this is an ancient Greek philosopher um, talking about it being the oldest ailment of all republics. And it's obviously continuing to this day thousands of years later. Thousands. Um, And so, you know, I wonder how fatal this ailment will ultimately be to our republic that we're currently living in. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. That's a lot there. That's a lot. Um, Yeah, it's interesting and it's fascinating to think about. I mean, you're talking about it from the perspective of sort of our our, what's happening in our public schools, but even sort of thinking about what we saw on the screen in this film with the students at Avenues, right? And they were talking Mm -hmm. about sort of, um, you know, some of them were sharing, like, I don't think we're particularly well off, but then I had my friends who also go to Avenues come over for a birthday party and, oh, wow, we're doing better than I thought, right? And sort of um, other students talking about they don't know, you know, they don't know how much folks make or their parents make money, but they don't have money. And we're just the uh, sort of access to opportunities that they have as a result of that, right? And so, you know, I think there's, um, an argument to be made as you're making about pub- public schools here around what would it mean? What does it mean for students in situations like these students at avenues to have class, um, you know, uh, diversity, right. Yeah. And to have conversations yeah. about what it means to be there um, and what it means to have uh, conversations <laughs> around um, how lucky and privileged you are to be at an institution like avenues. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think that's fascinating. And that, yeah, that quote, it was at the end, the imbalance. And I'm like, well, if it's the most fatal, oh boy. Yeah. Yeah. Also, the, <laughs> the oldest part also struck me as like, <laughs> oh no. This is an ancient Greek philosopher. Yeah. And it was oldest at that point. Oh, right. Oh boy. Yeah. Here so, we are. Yeah. Uh, very good. Yeah. I think so. I, I all that, all that resonates. Uh, you know, the other piece that this, that I thought about a lot as I was reflecting on the film was this idea of, um, you know, and I talked a little bit about real estate, right? Like real estate development in that area of New York um, is booming. Right. Um, and you talked about yeah. sort of the, the hyper gentrification that's happening. Right. But all of that is happening alongside, you know, real people and in many cases, poor and working class folks who live around all of that. Right. And so, the film highlighted in particular Hudson Yards, right, which is this mm-hmm. private real estate development um, company and and how it's the largest development project in the country uh, at, at the time. Um, but specifically how the film sort of looked at how Hudson Yards, the, the homes there, right, and other real estate in the area, like they're looking at installing individual swimming pools into each of their units, right? Or car elevators that bring your car up to your floor so you have easy access to it. And I, and I, and I laughed, right? Cause I simply just don't see a reason for that kind of luxury. I don't even know what luxury is the best word, Um, you know, or just sort of need to, to spend that kind of money for that purpose because I think it's certainly then difficult to justify it when there are folks living in some of the conditions that we saw in this film, right? Like, you know, one of the young men who lived in Elliot was talking about how you can't understand what it's like to live in the projects unless you live in the projects, right? There are days where you don't have any hot water. There are days where you don't have any cold water. There are days where the electricity goes out, right? You're 
food insecure, like all these things, you know, they talked a lot about the violence, right? And they talked about, yeah. you know, someone they lost to some gun violence right outside of the, the, the projects there. And so, you know, we, you have those conditions literally steps away from potential carports that <laughs> car elevators and, and swimming pools in, in, in your particular unit. And then, yeah, I, I really struggle with that, right? Mm -hmm. And I just think about like what it would mean for folks to have the means to improve their living and and financial conditions that you know, so that they can live with more dignity, as opposed yeah. to us providing um, these sorts of features in in multi million dollar homes and sort of yeah. what the impact of that would be on our society, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I think the um don't get me wrong. I like to swim like the next guy, but do we sure. really need that? Yeah, the stark the stark contrast, right, is just is what really stands out. And um yeah, those condos, apartments, whatever they called them, um were really sort of astonishing in just how I don't know. Well, like the amenities, like the yeah. the just how luxurious they yeah, seemed the opulence of it yeah all, right yeah um whew. um you know one of the things that was a sort of seemed like a semi-common thread to me okay. throughout the film was the way that folks emphasized class as a more salient piece to them and their experience than race yes um oh yeah particularly the folks who are from the elliott houses um but there was one particular quote from Hashim, I believe, where he said, I could go up to an African-American male doctor from a long line of people going to Ivy's. And he would look at me like anyone else would look at me, a kid from the projects. Yeah. Uh, and that was a powerful statement and one that, it, you know, in my opinion, anyway, points out how class and race combine um, to create these intersectional experiences with oppression yes um where you know yeah you're you're um you've got something in common with this guy but you've also got a lot not in common with yeah. them in terms of sort of generational wealth and what that what that means and, and what that access sort of does for you yeah. right and it's always been about both of those things and gender and sexuality and more but it really just put like that story that um quote what he said put uh reality to the theory for me oh absolutely way, absolutely way. yeah and that that i think that's the biggest takeaway from this film right yeah. like the the role that class plays and so i love that you sort of um call out and call that and call attention to uh his quote and sort of what he shares about that because you're right like you have this thing in common but this other thing that you don't have in common, like there it's, it, it's like, it separates you, mm -hmm. right? You're worlds apart from this yep. other human being. Right. And so, you know, we talk so much about humanity here, right? Like there's a piece of humanity that's lost in translation, right? Mm -hmm. When we think about the intersections of those things. And so, um, that was certainly, I think, uh, one of the most powerful takeaways yeah. from this film. So yeah, I appreciate you calling that out. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's shift and talk a little bit about application. All right. Um, so when I think about how this documentary influences daily life for us and what it teaches us about our daily lives, I think that 
the nonstop growth and development that seems to drive so much of our economy is is where the lesson lies. Yeah. Um, at least, you know, around us uh, and down in D.C., the construction has basically been nonstop. Nonstop. Um, wow. Yeah. You know, in, in our sort of neck of the woods outside of D.C., it's been nonstop for, I don't know, four or five years at least. At least. Um, and it, downtown, you know, there are portions of D.C. that look completely different than when I got to this area about 10 years ago. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I wonder what, what's the tipping point? Um, at what point do we reach uh, a place where there are more drawbacks than benefits to this, like, mm. sort of unfettered growth and development? That's a great question. Um, what does it do to our economy? Is it is it helping us? Is it helping all of us? All of us. Um, or is this another sort of money-making scheme for those who already have the resources in the first place? You know, it's like a giant game of Monopoly. Um where you land on boardwalk and a person who owns boardwalk now has the money to buy houses to put on boardwalk. Yes. And then the next time you land on boardwalk, you owe more money. Yeah. Um, it, so it feels like that where it's just like the rich get richer. Um, so I think we have to start thinking about that and you know, how do we show up and challenge those things and city council meetings and, you know, public comments for stuff that are not always the most accessible things yeah. and uh, stuff like that. So um, that's where my application kind of where where my mind went for this. Yeah, they're not always the most accessible things. They're not always the most exciting things either. Oh, no, but, um, but it's it's a reality that's affecting all of us. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love the sort of analogy of Monopoly. <laughs> Is it Monopoly in your mind? Because we've been playing Monopoly with your daughter a lot here recently. Yeah. Uh, Monopoly Junior. Monopoly Junior. A little bit different, but. But not, but this idea, it also, when you said monopoly, it also made me think of like this concept of funny money too, right? Yep. Like there's so much of this development that's happening and like the rich are just uber rich and these, these corporations and these developers are just rich beyond measure, yep. right? And so it's hard for me sometimes to even fathom how much money it's costing for this to happen, right? Um, again, juxtaposed with the fact that people are living paycheck to paycheck, right? Yeah. Um, and people are being forced out of their homes and their neighborhoods. I mean, there's a whole part of the documentary towards the end, right, where folks are protesting sort of um, that this gentrification that's happening because they're being pushed out of their homes. And there's the, yeah. the woman who, who gets tearful talking about the fact that this is the home I grew up in, right? I have so many memories here. And now I'm raising my family here. Um, and I yep. don't want to leave here. Um, and so this is the these are the things that we're doing to real people, Mm -hmm. um, as other folks are playing with this funny money. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. That's great application. You know, I, um, I think about how, and I think you sort of alluded to this, like how all of this applies to our personal lives. Right. And so, you know, when I, as I'm thinking about sort of the conversation that we're having now and sort of all that we saw in this, in this film, right. Like, I think you're right. We have to look at our individual communities, right, and figure out where this kind of gentrification is happening um, and the impact that it's having on real people, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that is, that's a huge piece of this, right? And sort of this idea of like, who isn't being served by this, right? I think there's so many folks who are just not being served by um, all, all that, this gentrification that's happening in so many of our, of our, of our communities. And so, 
I think you're right. Like, how are we supporting these folks? Um, because I think that's, I think they matter more in the, in these mm-hmm. situations. Right. Um, are, you know, you mentioned a couple of things, right? Well, what, uh, what organizations are out there advocating for these folks, what mutual aid, uh, work is happening that we can get involved in. Right. Like, you know, you talked about the politicians, elected officials, city council members, right? Like who can you write to, who can you, um, you know, f- you know, uh, asked to support these folks, right? So what options are out there? What are ways that you can look around in your individual communities um, to see what's going on and how we can support our folks? I yeah. I completely agree. Yeah. Um, well, you talked about funny money a, a minute ago, um, and that made me remember something I saw online recently um, about sort of wealth in the pandemic oh, yeah. and that sort of workers in the U.S. have lost trillion of collective wealth um, over the course of the pandemic, which is astonishing. Yeah, astonishing. Um, And the billionaires have gained $3.9 trillion of wealth um, in the pandemic. So, you know, the rich get richer. And $3.9 trillion, that is beyond comprehension yeah, to me. I don't, I don't know. know. I don't that, know what that, that means. Right. Yeah. I don't know what that means. I don't know. I can't even picture that. Right. I'm like sitting in the room that we're sitting in. I'm like, is that, we didn't have stacks on stacks on stacks in this room, but I don't think this yeah. room would even fit. I but I have, I have no, no idea. I have no, con- yeah. no concept of it. Yeah. Um, and we never will, I think. <laughs> never will. Um, the world will never know. Uh, all right. So, for homework, what All what right. do we do to continue this work? Um, one obvious thing is that this documentary is the last part of a trilogy about economic forces. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, so I think watching the other docs in the series would be great homework. Yes. Um, the other thing I think is finding how we can submit those public comments to our city councils that challenge sort of the ethics and the motivations of constant growth and development for, um, you know, apartment projects or. or whatever is going on um especially in the context of our local communities and how those things are going to impact us um so that's kind of where my homework sits is like you know i think continuing to learn and then how do we learn and then apply that to action yeah this is a real um, call for call to action for this absolutely yeah and like you said i mean just miles away from us not you know not even there's construction that's happening and it's like what is going on so Mm -hmm. um yeah i love that and i i don't think i knew that this was part of a three-part series so Mm -hmm. uh that's news to me so absolutely let's watch the others um i you know my homework uh maybe a little superficial (laughs) if you will i don't know or i i think it's going to be a way for me to deal with this just curiosity that i have i i was really just so intrigued by avenues yeah the world's cool the uh, world's cool. <laughs> um you know i i, I kind of want to learn a little bit more about that school mm-hmm. um and i know that they have other locations sort of around the world they do yeah. um but the other than the one that was featured in this film in, in manhattan but i want to learn more about Avenue's mission and an educational model, right? I mean, you talked about the facility alone was just um, phenomenal, um, but their educational model um, was intriguing to me. And, you know, they talk about how they're preparing students to be global citizens. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I was just fascinated by that. And so I want to check out their website. I want to read a little bit more about, you know, who they are, what they do, how they're doing it. Um, 
because, and I think that's the educator in me. Um, but I also think there's a lot that I'm intrigued by in terms of what an institution like this one is doing to educate students to be these global citizens that they refer to. Yeah. But what does that mean in terms of being global citizens that are committed to social justice and liberation? Right. Mm. Like I think that's a key element of being a global citizen, right? This sort of interconnectedness um, with one another. Um, I can't imagine anyone being a successful global citizen without having that commitment as well. So um, I just sort of want to see what they're doing uh, um, and uh, yeah, just learn a little bit more about, about it. So um, it, I, it just was more curious than anything. <laughs> yeah. I think, I mean, I think those are good questions to ask of private schools, right? It connects right. back to what I was saying about what are the underlying purposes of these private schools, yeah. um, especially if you start to, I think, peel back some of the layers of the onion for like public charter schools too. Mm. Like what are what are those accomplishing and um, what are some of the concerns that are um, very apparent from the experiences of students and parents um, who have... Um, gone there and the lack of accountability for public dollars right. spent um and and more so um yeah I, th- I don't think that's superficial we're you know asking questions i love it um all right so let's talk about um next week so damien you're up next week yeah. what are you bringing to the table in our next episode i'm super excited about next week i'm bringing a piece called what's next for defund from in these times magazine to the table and if in these times magazine sounds familiar it's probably because we read the movement for black lives takeover edition yep. um, of in these times magazine back in august mm-hmm. you imagine believe but that was back in august yeah um so a few days ago i actually got an email promoting this article and i thought our podcast would be a great reason to read it so i'm going to bring it to the table for us Um, and it's totally free to access this article online so you can just search what's next for defund and uh in these times magazine and you will find it um but basically it is a compilation of interviews of a few different folks. So there's Candace Montgomery, who is a Minnesota-based organizer and a national leader in the movement for black lives. And she's also the co-executive director of Black Visions. There's Robin Wansley Warloba. I hope I got that right, city councilor in Minneapolis. Um, Andrew Harrison is a civil rights attorney and writer from Texas. Uh, Makia Green, who's an organizer, uh, co-chair of Defund MPD Coalition, uh, and co-founder of the Harriet's Wildest Dreams organization. And there's also Willie Burnley Jr., uh, who is also an organizer, a city councilor from a town called Somerville in Massachusetts. Uh, And he's also the co-founder of Defund Somerville Police Department, right? Mm. So I think a lot of amazing folks, um, and the piece really sort of presents their reflections on the movement since the summer of 2020's uprisings and sort of where we go from here um, and sort of their thoughts on where we go from here. And so I, you know, I I actually, I didn't read any of it, uh, but I think it's going to be really a fascinating and insightful piece for us. Definitely. And so um, I'm looking forward to, to reading it and checking it out with you next week. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to reading and talking about that. It makes me think about, um, all of the ways that um, a lot of folks on the right wing have talked about how departments have been been defunded over the last two years, and that has that's a hoax. Yeah, like that is actual like uh, 
actually not true yep. in anywhere. Um, no one was defunded. Yep. There were no police departments, as far as I know, across the country that were defunded. So when governors like you know, Glenn Youngkin come into power in Virginia and they're like, we need to like raise the funding. Like the funding was never lowered. Absolutely. The funding was never cut. Um, and so this, it's all, it's all, um, it's all propaganda. It's all um, manipulation of um, voters. Yes. Um, that, that they're, that they're participating in and, and, uh, and doing. So I'm looking forward to reading more of that from um, sort of perspective of folks who are in that work. Um, and, and doing that work. I love it. So, yeah. Well, we want to thank you for joining us today and for listening to Interdependent Study. You know what I'm going to ask you to do here, but in case you forgot, please follow, leave a rating and review, share a podcast with the people in your life, follow us on social media, uh, including YouTube. Sign up for our email list to get notified about any new things we got going on behind the scenes. Absolutely. Folks, thank you so much for listening. And remember, it's not about us, but it is about us. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>